Good morning. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. Some of you are thinking to yourself, what's up with the slacks? My jeans are dirty. My wife has been in Florida for about a week and there's no laundry being done. Actually, the first part of that sentence is true. My wife has been in Florida and I'm going to join her tomorrow, but I do know how to do laundry. My jeans are technically not dirty. I just chose to wear slacks. So um, thank you for being here. I can dress up occasionally, occasionally. So uh, this morning we are continuing our series uh, entitled Living Stones. We're taking a look at the patriarchs, starting with Adam, and we're going to go all the way through Joshua. And the point of this series is not so much to take a look at them and say, hey, see how awesome these individuals are. Let's all be like them. Because we're going to see flat out right away this morning that they're not so awesome. They make a lot of dumb decisions. But what we're really focusing on is the master builder. The master builder. And his plan for them and his plan for us, and how we can trust him as we walk through this life, trusting in his promises. Uh, this morning's message, the topic is, is waiting. Topic is waiting. Um, the scripture that was read, uh, starting in verse uh, chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, we'll get to that, but I want to start here. I want to start here with, with chapter 16. So last week, if you were here, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Abraham in Genesis 12. God calls him. He says, go to the land that I'm going to show you. I will bless you and I will make a blessing. Uh, I will bless all nations through your offspring. Now, what does that require? An offspring. It requires a child. Funny thing is, he and his wife are very old and she is barren. So that's a problem. That's a problem. So last week we looked at Genesis chapter 15 and the context was Abraham is, is fearful and he's not certain that this promise is going to actually come to fruition. So last week we saw in Genesis 15, God takes him out and he says, take a look at the stars as many, if you could count the stars, that's how many your, your offspring are going to be. And then he makes a covenant with him. He makes or cuts a covenant with him. And Abraham believes and it was credited to him as righteousness. So God made a covenant in chapter 15. And here we are in chapter 16. Years have gone by. So when Abraham first heard the call, he was 75 years old. He was 75 years old. He's 86 now. There's no kid. There's no kid. And this is how Genesis chapter 16 starts. Now, Sarai, his wife, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. All right, we're going to start, before we get into the text, I want to start with, with a question. A statement, first of all. Everybody waits. Everybody waits. How many of you enjoy waiting? You enjoy traffic lights, 
you enjoy the DMV, you enjoy Costco on a Saturday afternoon. Those are things you don't, nobody enjoys waiting. So, but everybody has to wait. Everybody has to wait. Uh, we live in a microwave uh, generation where we want everything right now. Uh, you remember back when internet first started? You remember that? How long it took to download a picture? Now, if it takes more than a second, we're like, this is too slow. This is too slow. Everything's too slow. But life doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't give us what we want. It doesn't give us what we need instantaneously. There are things that we have to wait for. There are things that we have to wait for. What are you waiting on? What are we, well, I'm not talking about a downloaded picture. I'm talking about things which cause your heart to hurt. Cause your heart to hurt. Things which cause you to question whether or not God is actually there. Unfulfilled dreams, maybe. Unfulfilled dreams. Or literally, in the case of Abram and Sarai, um, the inability to become pregnant. Uh, unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. You've been praying for someone to come to Christ for years. Your, your child that grew up and rejected the faith, and they're the prodigal, and you pray and you pray, and you hear about others who come to faith, and how the prodigal returns. You're like, well, my kid hasn't. Or that diagnosis. And you pray for healing, and the healing doesn't come. Or injustice. You pray for, for God to right the wrong that, that, you, that you've experienced, or right the wrong that you see in, in your culture. Or you pray for this nation, and, and you see that this nation continues to drift and move further and further away, and you, and you wonder, does it even matter if I pray? And so you wait. So we're going to take a look at, at Abram's situation and the subject of waiting. Faithful waiting. Three things we're going to look at. First, the faithlessness of man. You can kind of guess where this is going to go as we look at Abram. He doesn't wait well. He does not. So it, this is more of an example of how not to wait in, in terms of his context. But Nonetheless, we have the faithlessness of man, but immediately we see the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God, and then an opportunity, an opportunity to trust. So let's go to the Lord and ask him to speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Abraham. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't give up on him even when he was faithless. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to yourself. And I pray this morning that you would use your word to encourage our hearts to remain faithful. Or for some, to begin that faith journey. To begin trusting. And for others, to keep trusting. Father, encourage us in Christ. We pray that he would be glorified this morning through the preaching of this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, first of all. The faithlessness of man. So here we go. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Okay, so what's happened here is God has called both Abram and Sarai 
out of, out of uh, Ur of the Chaldeans and told them to go to the land that he would show them. And he's made a promise. He's made a promise to both of them. And he said, I'm going to bless the nations through the child that's going to come between your union. Well, Abram was 75 when he left. He's 86 now. His wife was 65 when she left. And she's, uh, uh, do the math, 76 now. So she's, she's old. They're both old. She couldn't have kids in her 30s. <laughs> she couldn't have kids when she was of childbearing age. And now she's old. And she's been given a promise. Tick tock, tick tock. It's 10 years. 10 years. And there's no answer to her prayers. What are you waiting on? I want you to answer that question right now. I want everyone right now to think about something they are waiting on God for. Some of you are like, well, I don't ever ask him for anything. Well, I'm assuming that you do. Is there ever been a time when you've been in a difficult situation, you don't like your current circumstances, you don't care for your job, you don't, some of you, you're in a relationship and you're praying that the relationship changes. Your marriage is sour. It started out great, but it's gone sour. And so you're praying for your marriage to change, but it hasn't. It's just gotten worse. You, your spouse resents you, you resent your spouse. And you're praying for change. And you're praying that they would change. But, you know, you know that you need to change too. And you're praying that you're going to change. But nothing's really changing for the better. It's just getting worse. Some of you are praying that your loved one would come to know Jesus. And you've invited them to church a thousand times, but they don't want to come. Or they do come and they're just kind of passively here and they're ignoring the scriptures and and they're just not interested. Or they're flat out hostile. And you pray that they would come to know Jesus and they show no inclination or no interest. And you hear about others who, who pray for their prodigal children and their children come to Jesus and it almost annoys you. You don't want to hear one more story of someone else who God answered their prayer about their kid coming to Christ. Because all you ever hear is nothing. Or you pray for that person you love who's constantly in pain. I find myself here often over the last 25 years as I pray for my wife who deals with chronic pain as a result of Lyme disease she contracted in 1998. And so you pray and you pray and you pray and you wait 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 wait again and, and eventually you start to wonder you start to wonder, you start to have these, these, these thoughts. How long is long enough, by the way? I know we're all supposed to be patient, but how long is long enough? Some of you who have been praying for years about something, how long is long enough? Is there a point in time where that's it? That's it, God, I have given you enough time. It's now or never. By the way, that's... I would recommend against that approach, but I think if we're honest, there are times when we feel that strongly. 
Abram and Sarai have reached a breaking point. In their minds, it's been long enough. It's been long enough. What goes through your mind when you reach that point where you think it's been long enough? Here's some common thoughts. You, what does it say here? What what'd she say? And, Abra, and Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now in her mind, in her mind, she's equating her barrenness with God preventing her. Well, he certainly allowed her, prevented her. I mean, it's, you could say it's semantics. But here, here in her mind, she sees that God is the problem. Maybe God has forgotten. Maybe God's forgotten the promise. Maybe God is un, he's unable to fulfill the promise in her mind. Or probably more likely, probably more likely, maybe he's unwilling. Have you ever prayed for something so long and you haven't heard anything that you start to think to yourself, I just don't think he's willing. So that, that's, that's a view of God. But just as often, maybe more often, or at least connected, is the, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe the reason God is not granting my request, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, is because he doesn't see me as worthy. Maybe I'm broken. broken. Maybe I'm praying wrong. Maybe I'm not doing it right. It being praying. It being faith. It being whatever. So we, we look at God and we look at ourselves and we think, well, he, I'm asking and he's not answering. So it must be because he's thinking, Brooks, until you change, I'm not going to answer. And then as... Time goes on, you begin to equate, I haven't changed, therefore I can't change, therefore this thing will never happen. So it's on God, it's on me, between the two of us we can't get this right. So then what do you do? What do you do? You, have the, the, you, have, you don't have the object of your request. It's something you want. It's something you need. It's something that, you, that seems right. It seems good. Why would God deny me of this? In fact, in this case, he said he's going to do it, but he hasn't yet. Why? What happens? We go through these mental gymnastics, and then a plan begins to form. Maybe he just needs my help. <laughs> oh man no but yes we think that right we we don't have the object of our desire we don't we don't have the results we want so we're going to try to do something to speed it up we're going to try to do something to speed it up a plan begins to form i'll help god's plan along enter hagar Egyptian servant named Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. So just contextually here, this is a flat out train wreck, terrible, awful idea. 
And yet, this was not terribly uncommon in Abram's day. Okay, this was not uncommon. It was not uncommon for, for a, uh, a couple to have a child by a servant and then give that child the legal, become, that child become the legal heir of, of, of the other couple. You know, kind of a surrogate child here. That's, that's what we have going on. And it's so, it seems reasonable. People do this now, today. I mean, it looks different, but they do it now. This is, a, this is not quite the way we do it today. I shouldn't say we, but people in our culture do it today. So, Hagar's a servant. She's a slave. She has no rights. She does not have a say in this. She's told this is what you're going to do. And so, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram have lived 10 years, again, notice the author here emphasizes it's been a decade. Just to remind you, this isn't a snap decision. After he'd been there 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So when we wait, and when we're faithless, and then we act in faithlessness, it always leads to personal pain and collateral damage, and there aren't any exceptions. Personal pain, collateral damage, and there are no exceptions. When we want what we want, when we want it, and we take it, and we act not in faith, but contrary to God's promises, somebody's going to get hurt. Always. Always. Out of the gate, Sarai is the one who is in pain. Because Hagar is with child. And it says immediately she looked at contempt on her mistress. Now whose idea was this to begin with, by the way? It was her idea. It was Sarai's idea. But now she sees, oh, I see what's happened. I've lost my status as, as numero uno in the family. And, and this, this, this bearer of this future heir is looking on me now with contempt. I'm not going to have any of that. It gets worse. It gets worse. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me, I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, it's, there's nothing funny about it, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant for you to embrace, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now husbands, at this point in time, what's going through your mind? It was your idea. He does have an ounce of wisdom and doesn't say that though. But you also see that he doesn't have a great deal of faith in terms of what he says. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do as you please. It was your idea. You do what you want. And so... 
Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The phrase that's translated dealt harshly in English, it means to afflict, to oppress. So this isn't rocket science. She begins to beat her. She's been sexually abused, and now she's being beaten. This is what happens when we want what we want, when we want it, and we're not willing to wait. Collateral damage and pain. And there's a lot of pain here, a lot of ugliness here. So that's the faithlessness of men, and we can all relate in some ways. Maybe you haven't done something this disastrous, but every single person here has made a decision in haste, decided not to wait, and decided to act in faithlessness. Everyone has done this. Not this exactly, but done this in the sense that, okay, yes, I know I should wait, but I want it now, whatever it is. I know technically the scriptures say God wants me to remain sexually pure until marriage, but yeah, what's it going to hurt? And then that child comes out of wedlock, or that pregnancy happens, and then the abortion happens, and then whatever happens, and there's collateral damage and pain. And you can paint a thousand scenarios. It doesn't have to be a sexual exploit or encounter. But there's just one thing after another. One thing after another. Everybody's been here. So everybody's been faithless. Everybody's doubted. Everyone has wandered. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. This is a scriptural reality. And if you look in the mirror, you know that. You know that the person you're looking in the mirror at has fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone's been faithless. So... Where is the hope if man is faithless? It comes back to the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. We have here in Genesis chapter 16, verses 7 through 16, we have, I won't read the whole thing, but Hagar, she, she leaves and she's in, she's, she's in despair and she is uh, wandering in the wilderness and the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son. You shall name him Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand shall be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over and against his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. He's faithful. He's faithful to the victim. He's faithful to the oppressed. He's faithful to those who have experienced the collateral damage of those who are faithless. He pursues this woman. And he says, go back. Submit to your, your master. Submit to Sarah. Your son is going to be a great nation. He's going to be a prince among nations. Faithfulness of God. He doesn't abandon her, doesn't abandon her offspring because they are the product of someone else's faithlessness and, and abuse, rape, if you will, and then physical abuse. He doesn't abandon her. He's still faithful. How do you think you ought to deal with Abraham and Sarah? What do they deserve? Judge Judy, what do they deserve? What do they deserve? 
They deserve wrath. And what does, he, what does God do? What does he do? He comes to them and he gives them another covenant. Some of you are like, you see, that's why I can't worship this God. Because he's not fair. Really? So it's justice you want. Be careful in asking God for justice, for you might find that he will sheathe the sword of his justice in your heart. (laughs) Do not ask God for justice for yourself. Mercy is what they needed, and mercy is what they received. You have another covenant here. When Abram was 99, this is 13 years after chapter 16. So 13 years have passed since this Hagar episode and and Ishmael, the birth of Ishmael. He's 99 and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. We've already talked about that word covenant. It's a promise. He's he's inviting Abram again to enter into that relationship which he's already established and receive a promise. Receive a promise that I may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Okay, now we're going to go through Genesis chapter 17 in less than eight minutes, hopefully. So this is not an in-depth coverage. I wish I could do more, but um, I can't. So here's, here's what that covenant entails. First of all, a new name. You've noticed, I know you've noticed, I, I vacillate between calling him Abram and Abraham. It's because in, up until this point, his name is Abram, not Abraham. But I know him as Abraham, and so do you. So I keep calling him what he's already been named, renamed in chapter 17. Finally, we're here and we can start with Abraham and not call him Abram ever again. He changes his name. So no longer shall your name be Abram, but you shall, your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham means father of many, many nations. Just by changing that name, his name means something. The father of many, many, many nations. And then if we jump down to verse 15 and 16, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. In this covenant, what God says to Abram, Abraham and Sarah is, you have a new identity now. This covenant means that you're different. You yourself are different. You need to see yourself as in this new identity that I have created for you. I've chosen you. I've called you. I've given you a new name. I've given you a new name. He also gives them a sign. A sign. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation in Christ. You have a new identity. But how many of you forget that? Everyone. There are times we forget that. So he gives Abraham a sign that will help him never, never, ever, 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 ever to forget he's different now. 
He's different now. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Awkward. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, if you don't know what that word means, Google it. And for those of you who have children, explain it. I'm not going to go through the forensics of circumcision. Most of you probably know if you don't. I'm not going to take the time here to do that. But why? Why this? Why this is the sign of the covenant? Again, what is, what is Abraham and Sarah waiting for? A child. I'm also not going to explain how that works. Most of you know this. But from this point forward, Abraham, every time they try to make a child, conceive a child, they're reminded that they have a new identity. And every Jewish couple from this point forward is reminded that the promise to the nations hinges on one of their offspring. Future. So when a Jewish couple comes together to have physical intimacy in nakedness, they always are reminded that they are distinct and they are different and they are set apart for God's purpose. And that purpose will be fulfilled through a child. I know it's weird, but it's effective. It's effective. And then a response an invitation to trust. An invitation to trust. How does he respond to this covenant? Take a look at verse 17. I'll back it up. Verse 16. I will bless her and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. How does Abraham respond? He laughs. Look at verse 17. He falls on his face and laughed and said to him, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? His response to God's promise is mocking laughter. <laughs> Whatever. Seriously? Have you looked at me? Have you looked at my wife? She couldn't have kids when we were in our 20s, and now she's 90. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> This is hilarious. That's how we respond to God's covenant promise. Unbelief and laughter. By the way, Isaac means laughter. That's next week's sermon. Then he pleads. Look at, but what does he plead? Look at verse 18. Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He pounds his little fists on God's chest and begs and begs and begs after he laughs and begs for the child that was conceived as a product of his own fleshful ignorance and refusal to trust. He says, please, can it be Ishmael? He still doesn't believe. He's still wrestling with faith. And that's normal. If you're going to pray for something that's long and coming, you better be prepared to wrestle. And you're going to go through doubts of laughter where you're, you're mocking laughter. This isn't going to happen. 
But don't leave the face of God and keep pleading and keep praying. And you're going to plead. You're going to say, well, can't it just be this? Can't you just work it this way? This is normal and this is good. Abraham is unfiltered praying to God. God doesn't want your your manicured prayers. He wants your honest interaction because your interaction with him is is about your relationship with him, which which is what he wants. He wants a relationship. And eventually he surrenders. Eventually he finally surrenders. Verse 23. Verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his household are bought with his money, and every male among them, the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised. He, he surrendered, okay? Okay, I'll do it. My name's Abraham. And as the father of many nations, I will be circumcised. I won't enjoy it, but I'll be circumcised and everybody else will too. And from this point forward, I'm just going to trust you. We know the rest of the story. We know the rest of the story. And that story will be played out next week. But this morning we are going to celebrate communion because we forget. Abraham received a calling in Genesis 12 And when that calling wasn't immediately fulfilled, he began to distrust and he began to doubt and he began to wonder, is God actually there? So God makes a covenant with him and gives him a sign and gives him a new name. And you and I, if we are in Christ, he's given us a new name. He's given us a new identity in Christ. But we know know what happens. Sunday's sermon is over about the identity in Christ and Monday comes and Monday's crisis and, and the delay and the doubts and the crises and the circumstances and we begin to doubt again and we forget. So Jesus gives us a new covenant, a new sign, something for us to trigger remembrance. And that's the Lord's table. So as the ushers come forward to pass out the elements, here at Grace Community Church, when we practice communion, the giving of the elements, the bread and the juice, we do so to remember. Now at Grace, we do open communion. That simply means you don't have to be a member of of Grace Community Church. But we do ask that you have trusted and placed your faith in Christ. Communion is a reminder for those that are in a covenant relationship with Jesus. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't know that I am. What does that mean? It just simply means that you stop trusting in yourself to make yourself right with God. That you recognize that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect sinless life, gave his life on the cross, and took your sins and mine upon himself. That he was buried he was crucified, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, and that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that's received by grace through faith. So hold on to that bread and hold on to that juice. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thankful that you are at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Thank you, Lord that you are always patient and you are always faithful, even though we are not. Lord, help us to take courage and to find strength and to be strengthened in our faith as we wait on your return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless, go in grace. We'll see.